Well, hello everyone. Thank you for joining me once again for another session in the kingdom. My, 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 the time does fly as each week does seem to be flying by like the wind. And for those of you who were not here with me last week, my hope is that you go back and listen to that teaching from last week because it will help you to understand what we're going to be covering tonight. Thank you again for joining me once again in another session in the kingdom. It's going to be an exciting journey tonight. Uh, I have some more in-depth information to go over with you pertaining to the kingdom of God. By the way, I'm going through this process slowly and methodically to get our concept. The word concept means idea and thought about the Bible correct in our head. The reason why, <clears throat> why many of us are struggling is because our concepts becomes a problem where we're struggling to understand scripture. If most were to be honest, most of the people that we're dealing with do not understand the Word of God, and they never understood why they do not understand it. It's because we have the wrong concept. We have been told the Bible is a religious book, and I'm here to disagree with that statement to say the Bible is not a religious book. It's actually a law book. All right. That being said, that's the reason for my teaching in the kingdom. Thank you for those of you who are joining me for the first time. Welcome aboard. Good having you tonight. <clears throat> And tonight, like I said, we're going to continue on the thought. And the question I'm here and pose and tend to answer is, what is the kingdom of God? And we need to answer that question because many of us have understood this is the place we're going to be entering into, the kingdom of God. Is it in heaven? Is it on earth? Or is it within us? Ah, these questions must be answered. So when you understand the question, the, the, the statement correctly, and you understand the concept, the Bible is going to make more sense to you. Hi, Phil Marie. Welcome aboard. For those of you who join me, some of you, I cannot see your name. So if I don't say hi to you, it's not because I don't want to say hi. It's that your name does not appear. I just see a camera. That means that your um, your photo of yourself is not there. So if I don't say hi to you, I'm saying hi to everyone now. Thank you for joining me and for another great journey again tonight to take you into depth and understanding of what the kingdom is all about. And I want to answer some question here for you. Last week, we talked about what did Jesus talk? What did Jesus preach? What did he teach? And I gave you my evidence to present to you that Jesus only preached the kingdom. I also presented to you the evidence that Paul only preached the kingdom. Hi, Mom. I also presented to you lastly that Philip only preached the kingdom and all the disciples only preached on the kingdom. Yet we today are preaching on everything else but the kingdom. I said last week we were preaching on healing, signs and wonders, miracles, Demon casting out, calling out demons' name, prosperity, all the things that Jesus never preached on. We're preaching it. Thus, the reason why there's such a confusion in the body of Christ pertaining what is the word of God all about. And I said, I said to you last, I presented my case also. The Bible's only about three basic things. And if you don't have this concept right, this Bible that we're reading will make no sense to us. I said to you, the Bible's about a king, a kingdom, and his royal family, his kids. The three K's, king, kingdom kids not Ku Klux Klan but king kingdom and his royal family his kids that's all your bible is all about simple statement huh the word king I said last week I said appear 1524 times in your bible I'm sorry 2124 times in your bible yet most of them saw it the word sons and daughters kids of the king appear 1524 and the word kingdom appear 369 times in your bible yet most of us have read our bibles for years and we've never seen those three things Thus, if you have that concept right, your Bible starts to make sense. Understand when you pick up the Bible, a king is speaking. The king name is called God. 
God is, means creator, source and sustainer. He's called the ancient of days. God is the oldest king in existence. And if you understand the principle of king when you study it out, kings birth kings. And I proved to you last week that Jesus was a king. I also proved to you last week that God birthed his son called Adam. Adam was the first king of the earth. And I made a statement. Who are you and I birthed from? And we all agree we're birthed from Adam. And what does that make you? King of a king or king of kings. The songs, hey Janet, the songs we have been singing, King of King and Lord of Lord, we never understood that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords was you and me. The King God is singing, we're singing about, he's the King of Kings because kings birth kings. So when you sing the song, you're actually singing about yourself, yet most have never known that. It's never been taught, okay? So that's where the concept is coming from. For those of you who are joining me for the first time, we want to get started right away. Uh, if you didn't watch last week's session, I encourage you to go back. I listened to it about four times. Uh, as I said previously in my session, when I'm teaching, I don't hear myself teach because I'm just getting downloads from the Holy Spirit and I speak as He gives me the insights, the revelation, the understanding. So I have to go back and listen to my own teaching. And it's an excellent teacher, I must tell you. <laughs> I'll bless myself. <laughs> now, I'm not patting myself on the back. Understand, I am the same to you. When I go back and listen to what comes out of my mouth, I too am shocked because I don't know what I'm going to say until I say it. So I literally have to go back and listen to myself teach. So I'm amazed by what comes out. So as I'm giving you understanding, understand I'm getting downloads of Revelation too. But I don't hear myself say it until I go back and listen to it again. And for those of you joining for the first time, if you've never listened to one of my sessions, you're in for a journey. Bring your notebooks. Write down questions. I'm here to answer questions. I'm here to take, take down notes. And if I don't get back to you right away, you can leave the question in the comment, comment section of my teaching. And there I'll get back to you as quickly as I can to answer your question for you. All right. And for those of you who join me for the first time, if you're not on Facebook, you can also join me on YouTube. You can type my name in Gary Peer. There you'll find my session. I have over 45 to almost 50 videos on on the kingdom of God, the principles within the kingdom. And I've been doing this now going on about a year, almost a year and a half, I've been teaching on the kingdom principles online. So tonight, when I get back into that, if you can't go there, you can join me on Facebook every Thursday night, 7 o'clock. I'll be more than happy to join us in the live session. So when I get started, I have a lot to cover, and I know time flies as I begin to roll. All right, let me jump into this and pick up right where I left off last week. <clears throat> As one of the things I said last week to show you um, what a, a very important focus point we need to focus on. And sad part say in most of our church, we focus on this. Um, being born again is one of step of many that we must take once you step into the kingdom because it's an indispensable step you must take. What I call being born again is like getting your visa to enter into a country. But you don't stop at immigration. You must get from immigration into the country. I said that before. Because we cannot get in the kingdom without it. But it's the only one step. See, most people get saved and become born again, and they get stuck at immigration or what I call, let's put it in the Christian terminology, they get stuck at Jesus. I'm going to show you in a minute that Jesus himself understood and why he never preached himself. He said, I too got to be about my father's business. And he said be about his business. Because we said last week in scripture that Jesus never preached Jesus. Yet what are we preaching? Jesus, 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 Jesus. Yet Jesus didn't preach himself. He said, if I preach me, my message isn't true. The disciples never preached Jesus. They preached the kingdom and taught the life of Jesus. Now, Jesus was a secondary, not the priority. Yet we have flipped the script. 
Do you understand? That's the goal. So while being born again is the first step, is the important step, most indispensable step, being born again is not where you stop. Being born again is merely the first step to a whole new life. A journey of learning, once you get the kingdom, about learning, gaining knowledge, to a journey of learning to know and appreciate and experience our rights, privilege, and responsibility as kingdom citizens. You see, what we have done, we get born again, and they put a title upon us as being a Christian. Thus, that makes you religious. But if you understand me born again, it makes you a kingdom citizen, then you don't have to be a Christian, do you? Uh-oh. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Let me say it again. Let me say it again. Because some of you are like, what did you just say? All right, let me say it again. When you become born again, the whole title you're supposed to get is not be a Christian. That word Christian is a pagan labeling that they've picked up from Antioch, from idol worshippers, and they put that label on you, calling you a Christian. The word Christian, according to the definition, says would be Christ-like. Let me ask you a simple question. Are most religious people Christ-like? Hmm, I think you know the answer. No. All right? That's the title. But what you're supposed to be named once you become born again, you're supposed to be called a kingdom citizen. Hmm, that's a whole different ballgame, right? Just like you're an American citizen if you're a foreigner come to this country. You're not called a church name. You're called a citizen of a country. And citizenship has nothing to do with religion. It has to do with a country. That's very key. We define and understand the terminology. Okay? So let me move on from there because that's not where I'm taking you. I just want to let you understand that. So we got been labeled a Christian when you actually been labeled a kingdom citizen, a son, a brethren, right? That's the word. A follower or believer or a disciple but your Jesus never used the terminology Christian. That's not who you are. Hmm, okay. So many of us spend most of our time at the first step, focusing on that alone, Jesus, Jesus. But we miss many of the joys and blessings that lies beyond the door. Jesus said, let me tell you something. In order for you to enter this kingdom, you have to come through me. And I said to you last night, prove my case, not to me, through me. Very important you understand. He never said, come to me. He said, come through me. And I'm going to tell you why in a minute. Because the whole goal of him being the door is to get you and I to his father. Very important for us to understand that. There are many rooms in the house of God, but we will miss out experiencing the wonders of his kingdom if we choose to go no further than the front door. Let me give you a scripture. John 14.6. That's John 14.6. Jesus said unto them, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by. Very important word you understand. It didn't say to. So make sure in your scripture the word by means you're supposed to go by him, not to him. We have been coming to Jesus. We've convinced people to come to Jesus. And that's why they're stuck at the door. And yet they're broke. They're sick. They're lame, they're blind, they're not functioning right. There's all kind of craziness going on because we encourage them to come to Jesus. That's not what this says. It don't say come to Jesus. It says come by me. He says, I am the way, the path. I am the direction. I am the direction you should go in. I am the truth. I am the that which is backed up by facts or evident by the demonstration that demonstrate for mankind on earth. I am the way, the truth. Truth means that which is fact backed up by facts or evidence. I am the life. I am the one. If you come through me, I'll give you life. Not just eternal life, but also life meaning functionality here and now. Mm. No man can come to my father, not to Jesus. It said to the father. That's He keeps saying that, but we keep on coming to Jesus. But by, not to. 
but by, not to. I'm going to keep emphasizing, you get what the point I'm trying to get you to understand. Not that Jesus is not the most important individual within scripture, but he's not the destination. Okay, all right, in case you think I'm just saying this, let me give you scripture to back it up, to show you what Jesus himself says. Let's listen to him. At 12 years old, he understood this. It's in Luke chapter 2, verse 41 through 49. That's Luke chapter 2. Verse 41 through 49. Jesus Jesus now. Okay? At 12 years old. Watch this. Verse 41. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his wife did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So, when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, seeking him. Now, so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple, right? Sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. May I say to you, whenever you hear anything, ask questions. He didn't just take their word for it. He was asking them questions. Hey, Elliot, he was challenging their theology or their belief system or what they had believed and had been teaching. So he was asking them questions. Verse 47, and all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. They were asking him questions too. Next, look at this, verse 48. So when they saw him, they were amazed, speaking of Joseph and Mary and his mother. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. Listen to Jesus, 12 years old. This is what he said. And he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? <laughs> 12 years old. Had a purpose. Had a destiny. And so listen, my mission ain't me. I got to be about my father's business. It ain't about me. Why are you looking for me when I'm busy with my father's stuff? Do you understand? So even Jesus understood, even he understood, he had to be about his father. Everything Jesus taught you and I was about his heavenly father was not about himself. Oh my. But I need to see that. He himself said, did you not know I'll be about my father's business? So when you enter the kingdom, the whole goal is not to encounter Jesus. I'm sorry. He's just the door where you get you to enter. His, but the one he wants you to go meet with is his father because his father is the king where you want favor and blessing. That's what you're after. Every supply and need that you have comes from the father. Hmm. The son is the way by which you get it. But it comes through the son because all the authority and power in the, in, on earth and heaven has been given to the son. So you use the son's name. Hmm? As delegated authority given to you so you can meet the Father through his Son. And through the Son's authority, you can ask and request of the Father what you will. Because remember now, it's the death and the blood, the shedding of his blood of his Son that gave you, made you righteous to enter into the presence of his Father, God, or the King, if you wish. Alright? So you understand the concept. So I need you to see that. So what we're doing, we're taking people to Jesus. No, no, no. You take them, you get them to Jesus to go through him to get to the Father. So they have to go through the way, through the only pathways, through Jesus. So Jesus is not the destination. He's the doorway to get to the Father. Let's move on. Let's talk about life beyond the door. 
Okay? If you come to Jesus, you're stuck at the door, you're stuck at the door. I'm just telling you. And I described to you last week, if you describe the benefit of a country, you don't have to tell people how to get to the door. They'll find the door. Did I say that to you last week? I think I did. Let me say it again. Why today, 2021, this is now March 11, why are so many people at the Southern border trying to come to, come to America? Is it because they can't find a door? Or because of all the benefits they know they'll reap if they get here? Are you understanding? In foreign countries, they recognize that they can only get to America. There's a chance for a future and a destiny, a better life for myself and my family. So in America, when I heard, you get paid an hourly rate. You can save money. You can invest money. You can own a home. In America, life is not hard. Life is easy. If you just get there, the blessing, the government, your rights, the benefit. Oh, by the way, just recently, I'm a foreigner now speaking, I heard the government is handing out checks for anyone who's a citizen of the country. Oh, my, what a country. Don't I want to go there? And people will find a way to get here if you can reap those benefits of opportunity, of a great chance for a better life, for schooling, for education, for the chance to fulfill their dreams, to find purpose. Do you understand why they would, you don't have to find the door? Do you understand why they're creating their own door? If the message was to find the door, see, we're preaching the way to get into America, and this, I'm just using the analogy of Jesus. We preach and tell them how to get into America. And Jesus says, if you tell them how great and what the benefits are coming to into the kingdom, and you tell them about the Father and the healing and the miracles, the blessing, the favor, no lack, no fear, no anxiety, no worry, peace, joy, rest, blessing beyond comprehension, then they will automatically find the door. Are you understanding? I want the point to get down deep because this is what we're doing. And this is why it's not working. Then here's the part that's most frustrating. If we have convinced people to come to the door of Jesus, and they bring their problem to Jesus, and they begin to pray, and Jesus doesn't answer and or respond. Question, did you make him a friend of the kingdom or did you make him an enemy of God? See, most people now reject religion and Christianity because we have convinced them that they need to come to Jesus. They come to Jesus telling us, many of them, they are not ready. But we force them to pray the prayer anyway. We get them saved anyway. And when they begin to try to live right, they're struggling. When they try to obey the law of God, they, they're struggling. When they try to walk in obedience, they can't do it. When they try to read the word, they don't understand it. So guess what's starting to happen? The enemy, which was once their master, begin to attack them twice as much now because we have forced them to pray a prayer. They weren't ready to pray. So we saved them, and now they have no protection because they have not learned how to walk in righteousness and obedience. Thus, they're constantly under stress pressure, and attack. You know what happens over a period of time you're under that pressure? You'll turn away and walk away from God and say, that don't work. I had a sickness in my body. I prayed. God didn't heal me. My family was sick. I prayed. No answer. I tried to give my money. I got nothing returned. I tried to be faithful to show up. In the end, they used me and abused me, and they did nothing for me. Do you not understand why people are angry? Because we're saving them before they tell you they're ready. That act of bringing them to Jesus is a wonderful thing if the Spirit of the Lord moves you. Because the Bible tells you clearly, no one can come to God except the Spirit of God draws them. It didn't say we're supposed to compel them. The Spirit's supposed to draw them. Because if the Spirit do it, then they're ready. And when they come, they'll hold on because they made a willful choice to follow God. See, if you're forced to follow God, then you won't maintain your walk or your journey, will you? But if you make a choice because you recognize the benefit and you made a decision and you settle it in your heart, then you will follow and obey God. Isn't that true? 
But if you force somebody, it won't hold. I'm just telling you. So this is what's going on in people's life, and we need to help fix that problem. All right, let me go with life beyond the door. So many believers get so completely fixated on Jesus Christ, the Savior, and being born again, that as soon as they are inside the kingdom, they camp on the doorstep and never go any further in their journey. Remember, I'm going to show you a minute. You're supposed to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We're supposed to be maturing. Jesus is the doorway to the kingdom, but there are more riches that awaits on the inside. Jesus himself made this statement. This is in John chapter 10, verse 7 through 10. Let's see what Jesus said, okay? That's John chapter 10, verse 7 through 10. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door to the sheep. Didn't say the destination did. I am the door to the sheep. Verse 8. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers. We need to define those two terms. We think we know what a thief is. Can I give it to you a definition? Who were the thieves and who were the robbers? All robbers, all who came before Jesus, he said they were thieves and robbers. Let's define the word thieves. Listen to this. A thief is one who steals another's property, especially by stealth, or without using force or violence. Let me say it again. Let's define the word thief. All who came before me were thieves and robbers. Is this? So now, the thief is one who steals another's property, especially by stealth or without using force or violence. They have learned to convince them. Convince them. <laughs> You can look up the word con for yourself. I think you're what I'm trying to tell you. Because they're not forcing the people. They're not twisting their arm. But they have convinced them that what they need from them is what God wants. And so they are thieves. Hmm. Hmm. You remember Jesus making a statement in the temple? My house was called a house of prayer. But you've turned to a den of thieves and robbers. Do you remember that scripture? Hmm. How are they stealing? By taking the people's money in the name of God. Remember? Oh, oh boy. Do I touch that one? They're taking money in the name of God by telling, convincing people that God needs it. But I need to give you a scripture to say God don't need it. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. The silver is mine. The gold is mine. He owns the cattle of a thousand hill. Everything on the earth belongs to the Lord. The gold, silver, everything. What does it need your paper for? Hmm. But thieves can convince you. Mm, that God needs it. Thus they said they were thieves and robbers. Next one. Let's look. All who ever came before were thieves, one who steal without force by using force or violence, and then robbers. Robber is one who steal, especially by force or through threat of violence. Hmm. Now the, the robbers now is different than the thief. The thief steal another's property by stealth or sneakiness without force or with violence, because he want to get in, get out, get the stuff, and roll. A robber, on the other hand, is going to use the opposite effect. What does he do? He steals especially by force through threat of violence. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm going to give you another scripture here to talk to you what this is talking about here also. It's talking about another thief we're going to hear about in a minute to understand how he does it, threat of violence. Uh, let me continue on. So I wanted to give you a definition between those two words. But the sheep did not hear them. Another word here is to obey them. He did not obey them. That's the word here. 
And he said, I am the door. If any enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. He will be saved. And he didn't say he come to me and stop. He will go in and out to find pasture. In and out of the kingdom. In and out. Not stop at. I need to magnify that because this is where we're struggling. Listen to verse 10. The thief. Uh-oh. Does not come except to steal, kill, and to destroy. Who's the thief? Let me put it in Spanish. Diablo. <laughs> the devil. The thief. <laughs> now, question. Go back to the book of Genesis and understand how he got a kingdom, authority, and dominion over the earth. He was a thief. He convinced Eve. That God was keeping something from him and got them to disobey God. He was a robber. He was a thief. So his MO, I told you what that meant last night, modus operandi did not change since that time till now. He convinced her, he convinced her that God, did God truly say you may not eat of every tree in the garden? And she began to have a dialogue with him. Well, he did say we may not eat of a tree, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil may not eat of it, because the day we eat it or touch it, we shall surely die. Eve, ex she explained herself, and once she started to talk to him, the devil knew Eve did not know the law, so he was able to convince her. No, what God did not tell you, see, in the day you eat of it, you should be just like God. What Eve didn't know, she was already like God. He convinced her, convinced her. That's a thief. Now you understand the proper thief. Thievery comes from this guy right here. The thief, the devil, does not come except to steal. That's his MO. Let's be clear. When he's befriending you, he's going to pick your pocket. I'm just telling you how he operates. He's got your mind over here. You are looking at this and your fingers in your pocket. That's how it works. <laughs> to kill. Remember, he comes to take life. He's not trying to be your friend. He's trying to kill you. When he offers you sin through disobedience, it's not to be your friend. He promises you pleasure. What he's going to tell you is the consequence. He said, go ahead and sleep with that girl. She married. She don't tell you about the husband coming home cutting and stabbing you in the neck. He don't tell you about that part, does he? He tell you, go ahead. Steal that candy at Walmart. Well, he's going to show you the camera pointing directly at you. He's going to put you in jail. <laughs> Do you understand? He's not trying to be your friend. He comes. His MO does not change. Steal. He's a thief. Steal, kill, and to destroy. If I can get you caught up in gossiping, backbiting, brown nosing, I will wreck your life. I am not trying to be your friend. I don't like you. Now, the question you must ask, why does the devil hate you and I so much? What is it about you and me that make him so rage against anyone who tried to live right before God? Can I tell you why? He rages because all that God had made, the earth and the fullness thereof, was placed under your authority, under your feet, and he wanted that authority and that position. And God did not give it to him, he gave it to you and I. Then the next thing that makes him rage, because he himself cannot go back into the presence of God, because God had cast him out into the lake of fire, that's his final judgment. You and I is made in God's image. And every time he looks at you and me, knowing we have redemption, we're going to be redeemed or saved or salvaged. It makes him angry that he cannot go back home to his father. So he's ticked off at you. Every time he looks at you, he sees the reflection of God in you. Hey, Shafina, welcome aboard. Good to have you. Every time he looks at you, he sees the shadow, the image of God in you, and it reminds him of the position he once held with God, and he can no longer go home. So now he's ticked off at the children of God. So every time he sees you, he's trying to kill you. You understand? 
because that's a, that's the spirit of abandonment that you see manifested in the devil. Remember now, Lucifer was a son of God, just like Michael and Gabriel. You must recognize that. So he was one of the top three highest, highest archangel. So when he lost his position, he could no longer go back home because he'd been judged by God that hell will be his final destination. Now the sons of men and the sons of God has chance for redemption through the blood of Jesus. But the blood was shed not for him and his angel, but for you and me. Thus we have something he doesn't have. So every time he looks at you, he's reminded that he can never go home. He can never be forgiven. And now what waits for his future is judgment and damnation. Do you think he's happy with you or is he trying to kill you? Mm. So you understand why he rages against you. And he's not trying to be your friend. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Every time you play with him by walking in disobedience, you're closer to death than you ever were before in your life. That's why self-control and discipline and righteousness become so important. Because, see, in that realm of discipline, self-control, and righteousness, the angel of the Lord encamps around the righteous. When you walk in disobedience, you and I intentionally remove your hedge of protection. Thus, he has the right to attack your mind, heart, and body. If you, the longer you stay in disobedience, the closer you are to die. That's why I keep telling folks, it's important for you and me to learn how to discipline yourself. Walk in righteousness when no one's around. In your private life, it becomes more and most important. Because you're, no one sees you in your private place, but you and God. Isn't that true? That's why integrity becomes the main word. You have to walk in righteousness. And I teach you in my session how to do that. Not just tell you to. I tell you how and why. Because your life may depend on your ability to walk right. Remember, he's out with his MO. Don't change. From the beginning of time, he's a father of life. He's a killer from beginning. He steals from people and he destroys their life. He's been doing this since the beginning of time. When you are having a dialogue with the devil, it's not a conversation you're going to win because he knows if you have to talk to him, that tells him by your communicating with him, trying to negotiate with him, you don't know your rights or the law of God. He's going to find a loophole to kick you and I to the curb. Hmm. So when that people say, I'm talking to the devil, I said, why? Hang up the phone. Why would you talking to him? You think he's going to tell you good? He'll tell you good if there's a hook in it. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I know that man's married, but he look good, don't he? Go ahead, girl, sleep with him. I'm just telling you, you're going to have some fun. We don't tell you there's a camera his wife come to cut your throat. I'm just telling you, he's not out to help you. He's out to rob you. He always promises you and I immediate pleasure with a lifetime of regret. Oh, you can get what you want now. Oh, you can take the candy now. Oh, you can steal that money now. Oh, you can sleep with that man or woman now. Go ahead. You can lie now. But let me tell you something. There's also a piper to be paid down the road. There's a price to pay. <laughs> All right, let me do that one on one. That's the way I'm taking it. But I need to see this process here. Anyone who came before Jesus called them thieves and robbers. The devil's the main thief and robber because he robbed Adam of his kingdom authority and ruined the earth. Thus, life and death was in the hand of the devil. So it was the devil was taking life in the Old Testament time. Thus, the story of Job. If you want to know who had dominion power, it was given to Adam. But Adam, when they choose to obey the voice of the devil, Adam and Eve abdicated the throne and they stepped down and the devil stepped into their position and began to rule the earth. Ho, 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 ho. Let me tell you something. I need to fix this statement. I mean, hearing. Oh, God's going to defeat the devil. He's a mighty warrior. Let me say something you need to know. There ain't no fight between God and the devil. The devil, the, the devil is a created being. I love my brother say all the time, the devil's God's devil. <laughs> 
That's all you get to tell him what to do. There is no battle between the God and the devil, his created being. Can I tell you where the battle lies? Between the sons of God and the devil. The devil can't defeat God. God already knows what's in his mind before thinking. He's a copycat. He was created by God. So what battle do you think you could fight against God? So what God says, this is no battle between you and me. I'm going to send it down to my children on the earth. Can I tell you who's having the battle? You and me. God ain't having no battle. You and me having the battle. I'm just saying. If you step back now in your righteousness and your self-control and understand who you are and your kingdom authority, you get now to cast them down from over your head and you put them underneath your feet and you get to trample on him. But if you don't know who you are, what your power is, what your authority is, and who you are in identity, he gets to manipulate you. Mm. Whoa. <sighs> then I said, thank goodness there was no cameras when I was a kid. Amen. <laughs> Because we were picking up stuff. He whispers influence in your ear. Go ahead, take that. No one needs to know it's our secret. Go ahead, watch that. No one needs to know. Come on now. It's our secret. Aren't we friends? He sets you up to get you hooked and draw you in and then you get locked up. Understand that's how he that's his that's his MO. He doesn't deviate from that. So when you understand the concept, a thief does not come as to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus, I've come here have life, and they may have it more abundantly. Here's a focus point. Remember that life is a journey and that life in the kingdom will require you to move beyond your original experience with God and to mature and to grow as true sons of the kingdom. Hmm. Hmm. You have to mature and grow. The whole idea, step the kingdom, is to mature and grow. And we're going to talk about that. And the question becomes, what are we going to grow in? You grow in, as you step the kingdom, grow in knowledge, understanding, and wisdom about the laws and the command of the of the kingdom. Let me say it again. You grow in knowledge, understanding, and wisdom about the laws and the command of God when you get in the kingdom so you can walk in integrity, in righteousness. You can find your identity. You find your purpose. And from then on, you're going to find your destiny. Did you hear that? Oh, let me say it again. Let me say it again. The whole idea of stepping the kingdom so you can grow in knowledge, wisdom, understanding pertains to the laws and commandments of God. Because one of the problems that most are having on the planet Earth, why life is not working for them, they keep on saying the devil, or I'm just, I'm just underprivileged, or the man got his thumb down. It's not true. One of the problems you and I have on this planet, why life isn't working for you, is because we are operating in disobedience to the commandment of God. There are laws and everything on the earth function by law. When you violate the law, life works against you. It doesn't help you. Hmm. You're driving on the road with laws all around you. There's only one way you're guaranteed to get to your destination. Stay in the right lane. What happens if I take my car and shift it over into the left lane? Will you make it or will you get a head-on collision? You see, that's what's going on with it. We're making decisions and not recognizing every decision you make has consequences attached to it. When we violate law, life works against you and death is the byproduct. If you go too far on the road and you go over your right side and you go too far to the edge of the sidewalk, a pole is waiting for you. Did the pole move in your way or did you not pay attention that your car drift into the pole? Do you understand? Because the law is designed in the center between the yellow line and say, if you stay with the yellow line, stay away from the white line, stay away from the curb, then you're going to make it. That's the law. It does not speak. The laws are silent. 
Many of us are operating in dysfunction because we're in violation of the laws of God, not the devil. He wants you to operate disobedient because then you give him permission to attack you. Do you understand it's our choices that's creating the problem? We keep saying the devil. The devil can't force you to do squat. You, he offers you something and get you to make a decision about a choice. And so God says, if the devil is offering you something, can I offer you something? I set before you two paths. See, the devil will give you one option. God gives you two. <laughs> I'm just telling <sighs> I set before you two paths. Life, death, blessing, cursing, obedience, disobedience. You choose. The devil said, I'm going to give you one choice. Come on now, you want to have fun, right? I mean, he always attached pleasure, by the way, to disobedience. He attached pleasure to disobedience. If there was no pleasure, you and I would not be doing it. Tell me I'm wrong. I know I'm right. <laughs> if there is no pleasure in drinking, you wouldn't be doing it. If there's no pleasure in committing adultery, you would not be doing it. But because he promised immediate pleasure, we are quick to satisfy and gratify the flesh. Thus the area, when you walk in the flesh, hmm, what's the scripture? Walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill a desire of flesh. Guess what? When you're not walking in the spirit, guess what you're going to do? You're going to fulfill a desire of flesh. And there's always a tempter offering you something to gratify the flesh. Thus our disobedience, not the devil, our choices. So you need to understand how self-control, self-discipline becomes so very important in your walk before God, to walk in integrity. When you learn to walk in discipline, controlling the thoughts of your mind, making the right choice of the heart, not manifesting in your flesh, you're called by scripture, walking in the spirit. Isn't that what Jesus did? Are you understanding? So he said, in, he says to you and I now, if I walk the way Captain thought in imagination and bring every thought to the obedience of Christ, I made the righteousness of the heart to obey God, not break his law. And I didn't manifest this in my flesh. So now by that definition, when you start to do that, do that, you're called walking in the spirit. And Jesus said, walk in like manner as I walk. What did he come to do? To demonstrate how you and I ought to do it. Thus he came to fulfill the law. The word fulfill means he came to demonstrate carry out, demonstrate it for you to see for yourself exactly what it means to obey all of God's law. Hmm. Go, go listen to my video. So those of you who have not listened to me for the first time, you're hearing this, go back and study out when I describe to you what grace means versus law so you understand the difference between the two. I'll break that down for you. All right. So we need to understand that when you step in the kingdom, you must grow. You must grow in knowledge. Understand. By the way, I said to you a couple weeks ago, this time you're living in called the 21st century is called your training moment. You are in training. What are you training for? For kingdom living. See, in the kingdom of God to come, the established kingdom that will come from heaven to earth, in that kingdom there will be no wickedness, no sin, no unrighteousness, no adultery, no fornication, no murder, no lying, no cheater. So this time, in the time of freedom of choice, you get to train. Prepare yourself. Because if you're going to rule in God's kingdom, he expects you to walk in self-control in this life. So when he puts you in the kingdom, you'll be no different than what you establish here on the earth. You'll step into that kingdom living and operate in righteousness to be because you learn how to control yourself. Oh my. So we're literally in training right now. Here's the key to this statement. Your journey or, or you journey or fly to the country of interest. I'm speaking about entering the kingdom now. You journey or fly to the country of interest. You enter through immigration, but instead of traveling into the country and experience all the greatness and the benefits of being a citizen, you and I being convinced to camp out at immigration. For those of you on this, on this, on this Zoom, on this session tonight with me, if you're a foreigner coming in, you understand immigration don't want you to stay immigration. They want you in and out as quickly as possible. Yet some have been stuck at immigration building, and you know what they're going to do. They're gonna, they want you gone. Now, 
because we're stuck at Jesus, the door, or we'll say immigration, another word to use it, most people in the religion are broke, they're hungry, they're sick, they're naked, in need of help, instead of enjoying all the benefits of the country, they are now in need of help. That's not the kingdom principle. Question, when did you see Jesus lack anything? Hmm. He was a carrier of the kingdom. He had no lack. To be exact, when you study your Bible, every need that the people had, Jesus met them. They didn't have to meet it for him. He met it for them. Mm. I'll explain to you why when I get this section, talking about what a king and a righteous king look like. By the way, just because you're saved does not make you automatic a citizen. Uh-oh. There's a difference between saved and being born again. And I described to you last week the story of Nicodemus. Remember I told you about that. Just because you're saved does not automatically make you a citizen until you cross over and renounce your old citizenship to your former life and your former country. Oh, I just dropped the pen. <laughs> then here's the key. After you renounce that, then you apply to get accepted by the new country and you sign a covenantal agreement as a citizen with its rights privilege, and his responsibility of the new country. <sighs> Woo, I'm saying a lot here, but I need you to understand that when you step from out of the world into the kingdom of God, you can move into a whole different realm of living with greater benefits, greater privilege, but you've got to understand what you're doing. That's the reason why America today does not allow you, if you come here as a visitor and a guest visa, you're not, apply, are not allowed to apply for citizenship for at least five years. They want you to come in the country on a legal visa to come in. You can work for a period of time if you want to. You can stay here for a period of time. But by law, you're not allowed to really apply for citizenship till you've been here at least five years. So you understand the customs, the laws, benefits, the privilege, the, the knowledge you need to gain, understanding how the words work, work if you're coming from a foreign country. Because some country have the roads you drive on the left-hand side. So when you come to a new country, you have to learn how to drive on the right-hand side. Some, the language are different, so you have to learn the language of the country. Do you understand? That takes time. Thus, before you make your decision to make your final appeal to apply, you understand the privilege, the benefits, and the rights, and what's going to be coming to you. And so you have to renounce your former country. So there are some places have what is called dual citizenship. There's some countries that have that. We can be a citizen of this country and be a citizen of that country as well. That does occur, but it's very rare to happen. But it's available out there. But the idea is in coming to a new country, you have to renounce your old way of life, old way of thinking, and you're stepping to a greater land with greater opportunity, greater benefits. Thus, you must grow and learn in that. Thus, the walk with before God. It requires you, the citizen, to mature, to become bold and confident. Then when you walk in righteousness, you become confident Then you start making petition requests towards the government. Because why? As a citizen, even though you're born a foreigner, when you come in and get your right to be a citizen, you have the right to petition your government for what you need. That's the responsibility of the rulership to take care of the citizens. Let me give you some scripture to show you what I'm trying to tell you. Let's look at Philippians 2.10-12. Philippians 2.10. Philippians chapter 2. First, let me go back up. Okay, Philippians chapter 2, verse 10 through 12. So I want to show you what he tells you about yourself. Philippians 2, verse 12. Listen to this. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, and every tongue in heaven and in earth, and of those on the earth, that they may every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but not much in my absence. 
Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. When you enter the kingdom, you have to work out the salvation. If I'm entering a citizen, I've got to work out how to become a righteous citizen. See, we come in, now many people are coming with issues that they bring from their foreign land in. Some come with lack, poverty, disease, all that stuff comes with them. So when you come into kingdom, if it's a just kingdom, you have to now to adjust yourself and your behavior mindset and start to work out your journey in the kingdom life. So the mindset has to shift over. Maturity has to be there. Knowledge and responsibility. Wisdom has to be all applied. Thus, the requirement of the kingdom citizen to work out your salvation. In other words, just to come to the door doesn't mean you're in. There's a working out that you have to work out when you enter. If you get stuck in the door, you're working nothing now. You're stuck. You need to get in before you start to work it out. <laughs> All right. All right. I can take you in. Just because you pray a prayer, I said to you last week, Nicodemus, we need to look at him, was a teacher of the law in the temple. He was in the Sanhedrin, a high leader. He was teaching the Torah. He had knowledge of the laws of God. It taught it. But Nicodemus, by our understanding today, will be called born again, or saved, if you wish, because he believed in God, but he was not born again. Mm. He was saved, but he was not born again. Then he had to come to Jesus by night to ask him, what must I do to enter your kingdom? And Jesus said, y'all got to be born again, bruh. <laughs> he was saved. Mm. But he was not in God's kingdom. That's a scary thought. What if many who are in the religion the religion, think that because they pray the prayer, they're good with God. They're saved, but they're not born again. They think they're in, but they're stuck at the door because Jesus is all they've heard. And they've never gone beyond Jesus. And they never manifest their purpose. They never manifest their potential or the greatness of within them. That's a scary thought. Thus, I'm going to give you a scripture later on. Said, but many will say to me in the day, Lord, Lord. The word Lord means owner, master, owner, master. Did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demon, heal the sick, raise the dead? They did these things in the name of God. They were saved. They were actually manifesting power. Then Jesus, then the Bible said, the Lord turned to him and said, depart from me. I didn't know you. How could you say that? I'll describe to you why that can be said. We're doing some stuff. We understand this process of walking out your salvation with fear and tremble. Become very important for you to understand when you understand your identity, who you are, then you start to walk it out. Let me give you that scripture. Romans chapter 6, verse 5 through 9. Romans chapter 6, verse 5 through 9. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified. The old citizens were left in the other country. The old man been put to death. The old way of thinking, the old lifestyle, the old mindset has been crucified with him. That the body of sin might be done away with. That we don't live our life like the old man, the old way of thinking, the poverty, the lack, the, in the, the inability or the inefficiency or the lack thereof that comes with that old way of thinking. It's been put to death. That we should no longer be slaves of sin. So in other words, one of the things that Jesus rectified was the fact that mankind couldn't meet God's standard. Thus, Jesus comes along to meet God's standard in the, in the place of man, by redeeming man, by him shedding his blood, so that we could meet God's criteria through him. But we're coming to him when he said, no, I gave you the ability to go through me because through my blood, you now have the means you never had before to enter to go meet boldly with my father. But through my blood... My father don't see you as the sinner you were, that old man. He sees you in a new lens of your purity through the blood. So his glasses, his blood's covered. 
Just when he sees you, he sees you being righteous and pure before God. Because he's not seeing your old nature or your old sin nature. He sees you just like Jesus, if you understand the concept. Mm. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe also that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. Death no longer. So when you and I physically leave this body, it has no more power over us because we are renewed in Christ. When God looks upon you and I, the reason why you and I have the right to enter into this presence with boldness. By the way, let me explain to you. If we're going to be for God without confidence, boldness, by your action, you already told me what's going on in your life. Can I tell you what's going on? The reason why we don't have boldness and confidence to go before God to make our request, because internally, inside, in our mind and our heart, we know something's wrong in here and in here. We are walking in disobedience in mind and in heart. Oh, we're not manifesting the flesh. Remember now, confidence and boldness only comes out of obedience. Lack of confidence and fear comes out of disobedience. Thus, many people claiming to love God, to obey God, yet they go before God and try to, oh Lord, if you want to, please Lord, you know, and they call it being humble. No, no, that's pretense. When you're walking right and you're obeying the law, police will stop, police officers will stop you. Do you buy and say, oh, officer, please, you know, I, I, I hope I was doing everything right. No, your confidence says, yes, officer, why do you stop me? Well, sir, I just want to say, I'm just here to drive you. You're doing a great job. Have a nice day. But you don't get scared because you know you aren't breaking the rules. The only time fear pops up in your life and mine is when we're walking in disobedience. Hmm. You see it all the time, left of your child. When you say to them, hey, do not eat the cookie out of that drawer, right? Out of that drug. Don't touch it. And that little child heard you make the statement. And all of a sudden, you're in the kitchen making dinner because I don't want you to ruin your dinner. That child reached in take the cookie eat it. And said, did you eat the cookie? No. And all of a sudden, they start looking away. Why are, you, why are you fidgeting? Because they know they break the rules. And now there's going to be a consequence. So when we go before God because we're not obeying his law like we want, like we should, we don't go before God with boldness and confidence because we know in our heart and our mind something ain't right. But when you get the mind and the heart right and you walk in obedience, you walk with confidence, your shoulders up. Princes and kings don't walk with their shoulders down. They walk with their head up because they have to have a certain aura or a certain presence when they walk, when they move. They must walk confidently. So when we are obeying God, we have confidence and boldness to enter into his presence. When we're not, then we're not so confident about what we're asking. So that's, that's the reason why we have other people praying for us. My simple question is this. Who can pray for you better than you? Why aren't you doing it? Oh, pray for me, brother. But, but, but his next statement now, he can hear the talk. But what about the prayer of agreement? Right? If I can't pray, can my prayers not get through? My simple question is this. When did you find Jesus have a prayer of agreement with anybody? I need you to show me in your Bible. Show me one time when he couldn't get through to the Father. He asked the disciples, come, listen, let's agree together for this. All right? Come pray with me. <laughs> it's not there. His prayer was always by himself, and everything he prayed, he got results. To be exact, he got so much result. The only question the disciples ever asked him, teach us how to pray like you. Now, what was the key to his getting results in everything he prayed? His constant obedience in mind, heart, and flesh. So he was always bold towards the will and the purpose of God being done through him. It gave him confidence. 
So he didn't have to go to heaven to get healing. He just commanded it. Remember, he was given delegated authority to his father to operate like his father was here on earth. And the government, if you understand how this principle works, when a king is present with you, the entire government is in the king. He is the carrier of the kingdom government. So he didn't have to go to heaven to his father to get healing. He was a carrier of healing because he was representing his father. So whatever the father wanted, the son manifested in the humans. That's just how it works. Oh, you got to understand. That's where confidence comes from. So every prayer, he never got no prayer of agreement. He just declared the will, the purpose and intent of his father. He said, I did not come here to do my own will. The word will means my own purpose and intent. I come to do the will of the one who sent me. Thus, he has given me all authority in heaven and earth to manifest. And, and another word is used is to do business on the earth in the lives of men. That's another word. He was given authority. All power in heaven and earth was given to him to do business on earth through the authority delegated to him to transform the lives of men and women on the earth to make them and bring them into the kingdom of God. That's called delegated authority. That's why he could heal, cast out demons. Demons in the Bible were cast out with a word because they recognized the law of ownership. Mm. Let me help you there. We still use the word landlord today. Landlord is a term we use when we are renting a building from a landlord. Thus, there's one person who signs the agreement or the contract for renting the place. Now, if there's a person living in the apartment that didn't sign the lease, by law, the landlord can throw them out. Unless the person who's renting the apartment allowed them to come in and they have to justify why they're there. But if for whatever reason the person who signed the agreement leaves and the person's there because the person who signed the lease had invited them, but they, the person who signed it left, went somewhere else, but the person who didn't sign it is there, by rights and by law, the landlord can kick them out. Thus, every demon in the life of the people read in your Bible, in the four Gospels, were invited in their life or forced their way in because the person opened the door, gave permission to be there. But when the Lord, the owner, the landlord show up, he recognized there were squatters and trespassing. Thus, they recognized and said, do you come here to cast us out before our time? They knew they were illegal. Thus, everyone said, go. He cast the demon out with a word because they knew they were trespassing. They knew what the law was. Thus, demon enter by rights. We human beings on this planet are given right to enter through us. But when the landlord shows up and he look at the person operate in a dysfunctional way, he recognized that's not how I created my human or my product or my sons. So when the woman's hunched over for 18 years, could not be healed, he recognized that's not how I made her. There's a spirit of infirmity attached to her. All he did to straighten her up, he commanded the spirit to go and immediately she straightened right up. That's not how he made her. She had allowed the spirit to remain. Thus, when the Lord, the one who created her, showed up, the owner of the landlord, he had the right to throw the demon out. The demon had to leave. Now you understand the principle. So we need to grow in knowledge of who we are. Let me take the next scripture. This is Galatians 4, 9. Galatians 4, verse 9. The condition of our relationship with God is not whether or not we know God. The condition of your relationship is, does God know you? 
Very important we get this concept right in our head. Because I hear many people say, I know God, I serve Jesus, I serve the Lord, really? Is that the condition of your relationship? You serve him? That, that's not the condition the Bible says. Let me show you to you right here in Galatians 4.9. But now that you have come to know God, or, get it correctly, or rather be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elements, elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? So the condition of your relationship is not whether you know God. The question you must answer, does God know you? Mm. Wow, that's a tough one. What do I mean by know? The to know means that our character and our integrity is built in private. And when we walk in obedience to the commandment of God, God claims you as his own. Thus, Jesus. God himself said, this is my beloved son in the book of Matthew, in whom I am well pleased. So in other words, God was declaring, because my son obeys my commandment, I know him and he knows me. So he was ready to magnify that to the world. So here's the key. If you and I walk in disobedience and still claiming to know God, God said, you can claim all you want to. Because I'm going to show you something you never saw before. Your relationship with God is not based on whether you know God or your prayer prayer or not. It's not how it's built at all. That's not how your relationship is known. Your relationship with God is based on your ability to obey his commandment. Because with your obedience, he attaches it to love. The one who obeys me is the one who loves me. So key now to measure your relationship, if you are obeying God, then it's proof that you love God. Mm. If you're disobeying him, it's proof you don't love him. So here's a quagmire now. People are walking in righteousness and want to claim love and that they know God. And God said, no, no, you're claiming that, but I've never told you that I know you. Now, how do we know that God knows up? He said, you have a guarantor inside called the Holy Spirit. He'll confirm to you that you're known and loved by majesty because you're walking in obedience from the inside out. Oh, <sighs> The Holy Spirit is your guarantee. He's the proof, whether you're living right or walking right. If he convinces something, you'll deal with that inner issue. Because remember, his job is to correct us from the inside out, in the mind and the heart. That's his job. So if the mind ain't right and the heart ain't right, we can say all we want to. I love you, Lord, and God say, I'm not convinced. Remember I said to you before, actions speak louder than words. The proof of your love is not your word. The proof of your love is your obedience. Oh, 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 oh. Let me say it again. Words don't mean nothing to God. And what we have done today, because we're not walking the beat because we lack self-control, we are speaking a lot of words. God is not impressed. Hmm. I know it's tough, but you need to hear it. Because I hear a lot of people talking a whole lot of smack. And I'm looking for the fruit. There's no fruit there. There's none. Jesus said, by the fruit, you shall know them. So if you're going to speak a thing, you better be ready to manifest the thing. So the proof is not in your word because many times they don't believe your word, but they cannot deny your proof. Thus Jesus, everything he said, he backed it up with evidence. Do you believe you can be made whole? Yes, I believe. Be done to you. Eyes open. His eyes was open. Do you understand? They knew he had authority. They didn't believe his word that he was sent from God, but they could not deny his evidence. And so our lives should be filled with evidence more so than words. Hmm. Wow, I can touch so much in that realm. I'm going to leave that alone. There's so much I can tell you in that realm. How important it is for you not to live a life of integrity and character. And that we live our private life to the audience of one. 
We live our public life to the audience of people. People see our action, but they don't see our mind and the heart. God sees our mind and the heart. That's the two places all constantly focusing his attention on is your mind and your heart. So if you learn to capture thought and imagination and bring every thought to the obedience of Christ, you have the mind of Christ. If you learn to make the right choice of, law of the heart to obey God's commandment, then you have the heart after God. If you learn not to manifest sin in your flesh, then you're walking as a whole man. You're walking in self-control. And that's what we're lacking. And this is where we're losing the battle. We've got to get to win again by learning how to discern myself to walk in self-control. Where there is self-control, you don't need loss. The only two law you need is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the only two law. Because why? Once you learn to walk in self-control, then you won't break the other ten. Hmm. Once you learn to love God with all your heart, because remember now, love is obedience, isn't it? When you learn to obey him, that's the same word as love. Love is attached to obedience. So if you learn to obey God, love the Lord with your heart, this is the place he tells you to love him. Love him with your mind. Love him with your heart. Love him with your strength. Same area taught man said, mind, heart, flesh. The same area said you love him in your mind by a caption, thought, and imagination. You love him in your heart by making the right choice. You love him in flesh by making the right choice. Guess what? You prove your love. And if you learn to love God, and you receive his unconditional love, then you can learn to love your neighbor as yourself. Same condition that you meet with God and God meet with you, you can give that to your neighbor. No condition to loving them because you're loving them because you're seeing the reflection and the image of God in them. So you don't require them to do anything to receive your love because you're not looking at their behavior or their attitude or their action. You're seeing the reflection of God that God sees in you. You're now seeing them. So you don't have no condition they need to meet to receive your love. Do you understand? But you have to receive love for you first. You cannot give what you ain't got. <laughs> I'm broken. I'm going to try to make somebody whole. That's not how it works. Get whole first then you can make a person whole. I'm just saying. All right. Let me do that one alone. Let me give you another scripture. First Corinthians 8, 2. First Corinthians 8, verse 2. Let me show you another again. The, the condition of your relationship is does God know you? Not you know God. You can tell people you know God if you want. It don't mean nothing. Does God know you? Here's the key. If verse first Corinthians chapter eight verse two, if anyone supposes that he knows anything, he has not yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Do you see it there? Oh let me read it again. But if anyone loves God, another word there is obey God, God knows him. So if he knows him by his love or his obedience, what does it say about those who disobey him? Oh boy, I'll let you, let you process that one. Let me give you another scripture. This is now Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. I'm showing you the condition of relationship. So in the kingdom of God, the whole concept of the kingdom is to walk in righteousness and to be known by the king because we want from the king his favor. And then he puts protection and he guides you and he leads you. When you're walking right, God has made the covenant. He's promised he's going to take care of you. There's nothing good will he withhold from you when you walk uprightly. So once that condition is met, you don't have to tell God you love him. Just walk in righteousness. You're proving it. You ain't got to say it. Thus you now understand Jesus. He never walked around in the Bible telling God, I love you, God. I love you, Father. I love you, God. The Father says, my son always obeys me. And in whom I'm well pleased, I love him. And that was the condition of the relationship. So you never find Jesus walk around telling everybody every day, Lord, I love you. I love you, Father. Father, wants you know I love you today? Yeah, what are we doing? I need to tell the Lord. Tell the Lord you love him. Why? Why? You think his heart is broken if you don't tell him? 
You think if you don't hear from you, you're just going to crumble inside? God is love. There's no greater love in the, all the multiverse or universe or seen unseen realm than his. I'm sorry. If you don't say the word you love him, I think he's going to be all right. <laughs> oh, boy, help us. I'm sorry. I'm not laughing at you. I'm just going to understand. Because the way we make it sound, if you don't tell God to love him, oh, poor God's heart's broken. He's just going to fall apart. He was loved without you. He's going to be loved with you or without you. He was loved all by himself. He so had so much love, he had to give it away. For God so loved, he gave it away. <laughs> I'm the same. But the way we make it sound, we don't tell him God's going to crumble. He's going to die. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. We misunderstood. You've got to understand the word of God. You've got to understand the nature of God, the character of God. Let me give you another scripture. This is in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. Not everyone who says, underline the word there, says, who says, See, people saying a whole lot of bunk, a whole lot of stuff. They're saying stuff. And then the Lord's going to tell you here. Let me say something to you. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. The word there, Lord, means owner and master, owner and master. They're claiming that the Lord is their owner and master. If you understand the relationship, it is a Lord to a servant relationship. Thus, when the Lord speaks to the servant, the servant ought to obey without question, if you understand the concept. So they're going to say to him, but Lord, Lord, owner and master, owner and master. Listen to what they say. He said, they'll say it, but will they will enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? But the one who does the will of my father. He said, the one who will enter the kingdom is one who does God's will. Not by saying, Lord, Lord, but let me go on. On that day, many, on the the word many, oh boy, oh boy. The, the, road to the road to destruction is brought on why many be on the road. Many. Uh-oh. Hmm. Let me continue. On that day, many will say to me, but Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy? Here's the same question must ask. Underline the word prophesying. Are they not? Are we not now in the time in our religion called the time of the prophets? A lot of people are prophesying, right? Can I tell you what they're prophesying? False prophecy. Hmm. In these latter days, the Bible said that God has chosen to speak to us through the Holy Spirit, not through prophets. The days of the prophets came to an end when John the Baptist began to preach, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The day of the law and the prophet came to an end. I know, I know, most really people say, this guy lost his mind. He's trying to say, not the day of the prophet anymore. You're going to prophesy. You can call what you want. I'm just telling you. God doesn't need to. Do you understand what a prophet does? A prophet speaks in the behalf of God into the life of a human being who cannot hear from God. So my simple question is this. If you and I have the Holy Spirit live within you, and he's as close as your heart and your ear, why would God need to use a prophet to speak to you unless your heart was so hardened, so callous that you can't hear from God that he's got to send someone from outside come tell you what you now know in the word of God. Does that make any sense? The only reason the prophet was sent was because the people was not hearing from God. They had walked in idol worshiping. They had rebelled against God and they had turned away from the law of God. Thus God sent the prophet to bring them back to the understanding and the knowledge of the laws of God. That's why he sent them. But the people were so far away in idol worshiping and the bales and the, the astra and the sacrifices that they weren't hearing from God. Thus God had sent an outsider because he couldn't speak to them directly. So my simple question is this. If he has now said, I've chosen to speak to you through the Holy Spirit, who we now claim we live with in our heart. If we're not hearing the Spirit, how hard is our heart? 
That he's got to use a man from the outside. God prefers to speak for you, to you and me, through your mind and your heart by the Holy Spirit within to keep your heart tender and your ear tuned towards the things of God, not through a prophet. These prophets we hear today are called false prophets. They're going to tell you how they prophesied in the name of God. Is that what they're doing? Do you see it here? Is it calling them out here? I think it is. Listen, did we not prophesy in your name? Brother, sister, I believe the Lord is saying. Sister, I feel the Lord is saying. Sister, I hear. I think the Lord is saying. Can I tell you what those words are? Whenever a prophet comes to you and have to use these three words, I think, feel, or believe. Know this and mark this down. These are false prophets. Let me say it again. If a prophet comes to you and try to tell you he thinks, feel, or believe, these three words Jesus never used because these three words are opinion. They're not Bible. He has the right to think. He has the right to feel. He has the right to believe, but they're not scripture. Jesus never used the term because they're an opinion. They're not your Bible. He did not come to speak his own will or do his own will. He came to do the will of the one who sent me. Thus, the word he used, it is written, but I say. That's a decree. He declared a new law, but he had the authority to do that. But he never used these three words. Any prophet tell these three words, shut them down. They're not hearing from God. Those are all opinions. That's what most of the prophets use, these three words. Now you understand where it's coming from. So here's what they said. On that day, many would say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And next thing they did, they cast out demons in your name. So they were manifesting power, weren't they? So they prophesied false prophecy. They were casting out demons, right? In your name and did many mighty works in your name. Wow. So with those signs of wonder, you would think, well, certainly enough, God would say, I know them. They're manifesting signs and wonder. Why? What's the problem here? Well, listen to this. And then, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. What? That can't be in your Bible. Hold up. They're prophesying. They're casting out demons. They're doing mighty works in the name of God. And yet God responds, I don't know who you are. I'm sorry. Depart from me. Listen to this. You who work, you workers of lawlessness. Did you see the word there? Did it say graceness? We need to look up the word lawless. Let me give you the definition. Why is lawlessness a judgment? Because see, for these individuals in the public arena, they declare that they are followers of God. They manifest the signs and wonders, right? They cast out demons. Thus, in the public arena, they appear by their words and their action to be obedient to the commandment of God. According to the system, right? They're manifesting signs and wonders because they don't know when the world can manifest signs and wonders if they're not walking right. But here's the problem. When they left the public arena in front of the people, in their private life, they lived their private life as if they didn't know it was a law against how they were living. So behind closed door, they were shacking up. Behind closed door, they were into all kinds of perverted things. Out of the sight of the people, in the presence of God, in the mind and the heart, they were corrupt and perverted. They were lusting of the people in the buildings. They were they were trying to have hatred and envy and bitterness in their heart. Yet in the public scene, they appeared to be righteous. They were loud and boisterous. And thus when they stood before God, God said, You did all these outward things, but your mind and heart was far from me. Thus you now understand why this is a judgment here. Lawlessness. 
living our life as if we didn't know there's a law exist against our behavior, our choices, and our action. That's lawlessness. That's why that's one of the greatest scripture. So the idea we've been told we're not under law, we're under grace. I ain't got to obey law. Then why judge them for being lawless? If you're under grace and not under law, why judge them for being lawless if grace covers me? Hmm, interesting question, huh? We need to look at it. Everything in life here in the physical realm and the unseen realm function by laws. The laws are not loud. They're meant to be silent. You don't know a law exists till you're up against it. You don't know the law of a stone against your toe until your toe hit the stone and you begin to scream, ouch! And you speak in all kind of tongues when they hit the toe of the stone. Am I right? <laughs> Yet the law is there. Don't bump your toe against a rock. You're going to feel some pain and you're going to lose your mind. It's there, but it's silent. You do not know there's a law of the road that you need to stay within the lane and avoid the double lane in the middle and don't cross over till you hit that car. Then you recognize there was a law there all along to stay in your lane. But it's like the, the law in the road is silent. You do not know the law of a tree, right? What is the law of a tree? If the root is weak and you build that big tree by your house and you don't have a sure foundation and the wind starts to blow, the law of the tree said, I'm going to fall on your house and crush it. Why? Not because the tree wanted to crush your house. You did not understand the law of the tree by building two houses to the trip to the house. And it has a lot of weight at the top. And wind started to blow and it has no foundation. It crushed your house. Used to that devil. No, you're in violation of the law that a tree should be built further back with a greater depth of root and of earth to make sure it's sturdy. So when the wind blew against it, it will not destroy your house. So not the tree destroy your house. We violate the law where we put our house. Thus, when you put a tree too close to your house, you need to understand the, the, the law of its roots. Why? Because trees is always searching for water. So if you put a tree too close to your house, that's what we're going to do. The root will go down, find a source of the water in your drain, rip your foundation of your house up, and draw the water out and crush your house in the meantime. That's the law of the tree. It's silent. You don't know it's there. You don't know what it's doing. But it needs water, and it taps down deep with the root to draw water. And if it's to clog up your pipe to do it, it will do it. I'm just telling you, when you understand the laws. So now we see here, they're claiming, but Lord, Lord, we did all sing your name. And he says, I never knew you. Now, can I give you the scripture as to why they manifested these powers? It's in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 10 through 11. Isaiah 55, let's look at it. Verse 10 through 11. Isaiah 55, verse 10 through 11. Listen to this. This is the reason why they manifest the power. I'm going to give you the scripture of this one to show you what. Now listen to the word of God. 4, verse 10, Isaiah 55, verse 10. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but the waters the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goeth forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the thing for which it is sent. So what I'm trying to tell you, the reason why these individuals manifested signs and wonder wasn't because they were righteous, it was because the word of God always accomplished the task of which it's been sent. 
God's word cannot go and come avoid or accomplish the task with the sin. Even though the vessel may not be clean. Are you understanding? The vessel is dirty, but the word of God is still powerful. And I'm going to show you the minute to show you that the word of God is so powerful that it, 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 it always manifests the word being sent out even through the vessels not clean. It will still manifest power. Do you know, my example, a man, two men could be sitting at the bar drinking. And one man used to maybe start a conversation. I used to go to church. I used to pray and read the Bible, hold down the earth. And the man next to him drinking beside him says, you know, I'm not feeling so good. And the man who used to go to church, he used to drink with him and say to him, you know, my friend, I could lay hands and pray for you. You get healed right now. And the man said, you can do that? Sure I can. But the drinking, it doesn't matter. I'm telling you, the word of God. He can lay hands on that man. Do you know the man will be healed? Hmm. Why? Because the guys are pure, all right? No, because God's word is that powerful. Even though it comes out of the best, it's still accomplished task. All right, all right. Let me, let me back this up. Hebrew chapter 4, verse 12. Let's show that to you. Let's show you the word of God. Hebrew 4, verse 12. Let's look at it. Hebrew 4, verse 12. To show you the power of God's word. So you understand that many signs of what you see happening doesn't necessarily mean the person that's benefit sign wonder is righteous. But it's the word of God that's that powerful that even though it comes from an unrighteous person, it's still accomplished. This is this. For the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two of the sword, piercing even the divine, the son of the soul and spirit, and the joy and the marrow, and is the discerner of the thought and intent of the heart and the mind. God's word is so powerful that it cuts between bone and marrow, flesh and bones, it divides us under soul and spirit. It is in joint and marrow, and it discerns the thought and intent of the heart and the mind. Mm. God's word is that powerful. So when you see signs of wonder, don't assume because they're manifesting signs that they're righteous, because it's all about not the public manifestation, but the private life. See, God is not impressed by a public act. If signs of wonder occur, that's why Jesus was not impressed when demons were cast out. He wasn't excited when someone got healed. He kept on saying something very funny. It's your faith that's made you whole. Not a big deal. Then he raised the dead. He never got excited about that. If you understand how the kingdom principle works, when signs of wonder manifest, it's not something to get excited about. That's the natural course of kingdom manifestation. When the right message is preached, signs of wonder is the proof that the right message has been presented and thus healing signs of wonder is the manifestation of that. It's not something we get excited about. Here we get excited about healing, deliverance, the demon. Jesus, do you remember what he told disciples? He sent them out two by two. He delegated authority to them. He said, when you go, preach the kingdom of heaven is the hand, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. Do you remember that in your Bible? When they came back to him, he said, Jesus, did you know the demons were subject to us? What did Jesus tell them? Do not rejoice in that demons are subject to you. Rejoice in that your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. What was he telling him? You're rejoicing over the wrong thing. Signs and wonders, the manifestation of proof the kingdom is present. You are operating authority. But don't rejoice in that. That's nothing to rejoice in. Rejoice in that you're known and you're written down in the presence of God. You're known by God. That's what he basically told them. You see, understand the priority? <laughs> oh, I'll just tell you. Let me give you, let me give you some more information here. Claiming our inheritance. By the word, that word inheritance is in your Bible. It's not about joining a particular church or denomination, or even calling yourself a Christian. Let me say it again. Oh, this is close to home. Claiming our inheritance, what well, inheritance you now understand is from a family member or from being a part of a certain family line that left you something behind if they pass on. 
But now in the kingdom of God, we now know the king cannot die. So we now have an internal inheritance through the spirit of God because we are brothers to Jesus. So we are part of the inheritance from the father comes to the brothers of Jesus, which you and I are, are today. So to claim that inheritance, I'm a child of God. We have been adopted in the family. So it guarantees an inheritance being left for us. Isn't that correct? So claiming our inheritance is not about joining a particular church or denomination or even calling yourself a Christian. Jesus never referred to his disciples as Christians. I need to say that because there's a principle attached to labeling things. What you name a thing, it becomes. Let me say it again. What you name a thing, it becomes. The word Christian, and I described it in a couple of my teachers in the past, came from a group in Antioch. Paul was debating them. They were talking about their get-together in the Areopagus, which is this area of town where they debate new ideas or doctrine or new insights into things. And Paul appeared to that city and he said, I see that you are men are most religious. And so they're, they're debating these new doctrine. So now they're talking about their different gods and Paul coming, I come to you in the name of the unknown God, he says. And they looked and said, unknown God? You only have one God? We have many gods, Diana, Zeus, Hera. We have all these gods because they're Romans, correct? And so Paul said, no, I'm talking about one through God. He began to present the kingdom to them. At the end, they said, we see that this man is learning. We want to hear more from him. At the end, as Paul continued to debate about the kingdom with them and about the one true God, they labeled him by saying, we remember who you are. We remember some guy in Jerusalem we call Jesus, little Christ. So we don't call you a Christian. The word means little Christ or little Jesus, if you wish. From that point, it was a group that worshipped multitudes of idols that put the word Christian on us. Every time the word is used, it's never meant to be a build-up. It was meant to be a tear-down. It is used three times in the Bible, and all three times is a tear-down, not a build-up. So we were labeled by pagans. King Agrippa used the one as a joke when Paul was presented to him and, and um, on Caesar about his being arrested as a Roman citizen. He laughed, you almost convinced me to be a Christian. <laughs> and he walked out the room, tear-down. The next time was used Philip. Philip used it one time. He said, if a man suffers as a Christian, he didn't say you were, he said, as one, at least suffer righteousness and not for wickedness, for evil. So each time was used, was never meant to be a build up, was meant to be a tear down. Yet we have adopted a minor to make it a major, and we miss out the most important point, what Jesus calls us, disciples, brethren, believers, sons joint heirs. In other words, we are seated in heavenly places in Christ, yet we have dropped our identity down to make a slave and servant when we are sons and daughters of a king. Because we don't know who we are. So we've taken on the role and let the role has become identity. Is I recognize your identity is not your role. The role you take on in serving God is a servant, but your identity is citizens, sons, brethren, brother of Jesus, and disciples. Another word can be used as believers. If you want to use that word, but the word Christian is never used. I need to define that because this is where we're getting stuck. Because if you label yourself a Christian, let me define a Christian for you. A Christian is a person who believes in God or in Jesus, who gets saved, who go to a building called a church. They pray, get no result. They read the Bible, don't understand. They cry, they cry, moan, plead, wail, roll on the ground, and they get no result in their life because they're trying to manipulate their God versus walking right before the God that the God requires to get all the benefit and blessing that they desire. See, when you walk right, you don't have to beg or plead. When you're walking with bones confidence, you demand, you command. You don't beg, you don't plead. You command and you demand. That's how it works. But that only comes out of 
boldness and confidence through righteousness, not through disobedience. Thus, because in the religion they don't teach you how to walk right, we're constantly begging and crying and moaning and shedding tears. Yet God is never moved by it. Have you noticed? Thus, when we get no result because we ain't living right, we try to find somebody who we believe is walking right to pray for me. That's a sign we ain't living right. I have said before, no one can pray for me better than I can. And I don't need nobody to stand to get for me. I'm going before the Spirit of God, walking before God and say, God, check my mind, check my heart. If I'm walking right, convict me if I'm not and get that straight. And I'll make my request before God. That's why the whole thing put it on the inside to make sure our mind and our heart lines up with the will of God. So when you ask anything according to his will, you already know you got the position, but that comes out of boldness and confidence. If you ain't got confidence, you ain't got the position. Thus the scripture, a double-minded person. Well, I know God loves me, but I just don't know if he want to give to me. I know I'm saved, but I don't know if I'm right. A double-minded person is unstable in all their ways. Tell that person if you're double-minded, you'll get nothing from God because you're unstable in your system. You're not right in your thinking before God. Either God is God or he's not. But make up your mind. So the scripture is very clear about that. So if you understand the concept, let me continue. It is. It has nothing. I said before. Jesus never returned to refer to his disciples as Christian. It has nothing to do with being religious. The kingdom of God has nothing to do with religion. It has everything to do with understand that we are a citizen of a country. And the question must ask: Does the Bible teach citizenship or membership? We're going to decide, describe that and talk about that down as we continue teaching. Because you got to see the difference between citizenship and membership. So you understand, if the Bible teaches citizenship, then why are you trying to be a member? Huh? we got to look at it. Okay? All right? So we're going to talk about that. So now, if we understand, everything we do, everything to, uh, the Bible, the religion, I'm sorry, let me go back again. Sorry, I messed it up a little bit. It has everything to do with understanding that we are citizens of a kingdom established and ruled by God, which will endure forever. As kingdom citizens, we have legal rights to the government. Legal rights. Very important to emphasize that word. Legal rights. Not wish, not hope, I believe, I feel, or I think. Legal rights. If it's legal right, then you have the right to get what is legally yours. Do you understand? The reason so many of us receive so little from God is because we do not recognize ourselves as citizens of the kingdom. Hmm. Because in our thinking, we're thinking the kingdom is to come. And you never understood the kingdom of God is not to come. The kingdom of God is already residing in you. It's here. All right, let me break it down. Hmm. Do not, we do not understand our rights as citizens and therefore lack the confidence or a boldness to ask anything of the government. Let me read this passage again. The reason so many of us receive so little from God is because we do not recognize ourselves as citizens of the kingdom then do not understand our rights as citizens and therefore lack the confidence or boldness to ask for what's legally ours. King, kingdom citizens is a spiritual reality. Let me say it again. Kingdom citizenship is a spiritual reality, but it is also a mindset or a mentality. But here's the most important part. It can also be a physical reality today. I know what we've heard. The kingdom of God is to come. The kingdom of God is coming. Then the sweet by and by the kingdom. No, 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 no. You need to look at Matthew chapter 6 again. What did Jesus ask you to pray? Our Father in heaven, hold your name. Your kingdom come. In the future? No, no. The kingdom of God he talks about there in Matthew chapter 6 is not kingdom to come or kingdom of the future. It's the kingdom of God that dwells within you. The word come there doesn't mean come from heaven, which is where we're praying from. It means come from inside of you out. We are the carrier of the kingdom. 
The kingdom of God is a reality that resides in us today. It's in the form of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you the definition of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the kingdom of God. So my question, is it in the future, the sweet by and by, or is this happening in you now? Oh, we got to answer the question. This is where we're understanding. So the kingdom of God is a physical reality. Now here's what it does. Because the kingdom of God resides within, the government of the kingdom of heaven resides in through the power of the Holy Spirit, which is the government, then you can be in the world, the democratic system, but not be a part of the world. Because why? From the inside, you're ruled by a different government and authority. Oh, Jesus, come on. So whatever is happening on the outer circumstance doesn't affect the same way we fit the rest of the world because they're living in a democratic system where there's checks and balances and there's injustice and bribery and all this stuff going on. But in the kingdom of God where there's justice, peace, and righteousness, we can be in this world and not be affected by the world because I'm operating under different level knowledge, authority, wisdom, and understanding. Do you understand? So I'm not phased by what's going on around me because I'm not controlled by that. It doesn't dictate my pace, what I do, I don't do, or what I think. My mentality, my mindset is a kingdom mindset. So what the world is doing doesn't impact me that way. I am not moved by COVID. Do you understand? If COVID, oh Jesus, if COVID touched me like Jesus, it's just going to get healed. Throughout this whole thing going on, I have had no fear about that. COVID is what it was in Jesus' day, leprosy. Do you remember what the disciples told him? Do not touch that man, his leprosy. Her leprosy was very infectious. What did you see Jesus do? He reached out and touched the leper. Yet he was told not to do it. Leprosy, according to their understanding, was supposed to infect him and supposed to get the disease and supposed to impact him. When he touched Jesus, the man got healed. His skin became as pure as a baby. If you understand the principle and the authority be given, what affects the world don't have to affect you in the same way because you're operating under a different rulership authority, and power. We don't walk in fear. We walk by faith, not by sight, or by feeling about what we hear. If you understand the principle. Wow. Let me bring to a close here. I'm coming to the end. As believers, we already have the Spirit of God, but we need to learn the mind and the heart of God. That's training. Thus, the Holy Spirit becomes your tutor. I'm going to give you a scripture. I mean, it talks about tutors. And we'll finish this up here tonight. We need training in thinking and living as God's children, creating that kingdom mindset. But listen to this. Not from a religious institution. Hmm. God, oh, my, my, my. God never established a church or a religion. A religion is man-made. The word church in the Bible is not building a location or a man-made system. The word church is the word ecclesia in the Greek called out the called out and separated ones unto God. It's not a building location. So because we misunderstood the word church, man has interpreted that to mean a building where you gather the people to teach them in the building. While Jesus didn't have a problem with teaching people in synagogue and temple, he had a problem with the structure because the structure became more important than the message. Thus, you watch Jesus throughout the New Testament, went from house to house, riverside, mountainside, wherever he was there, the people gathered, he taught them there. So he went to home, teach them there. Mountainside, taught them there. By the, river, by the ocean, taught them side. By the river, taught them there. On the mountaintop, wherever he was there, and they gathered in the wilderness, he taught them there. 
So in other words, he was telling us the church is mobile and it's not a building location. It's a people group called out and separated unto God. Not a building. We need to define that, understand that process when it comes down to the church. So now, as believers, we already have the Spirit of God in us. He's called a teacher. Thus in 1 John, he said, you don't need any man to teach you, but you have this anointing living within you called the Holy Spirit. He was sent to lead you and guide you in all truth. And the Bible said, he shall be with you to the end. It didn't say the preachers or the teachers. It does not say that. Because the Lord knew the preacher's teacher would die before the end. But the Holy Spirit cannot die. Thus he sent them as the counselor, the comforter, the helper, the strengthener, the guidance, and the direction you need. He sent him to teach you, to lead you and guide you in the ways of the kingdom. If you understand the process. Let me give you one scripture that went into here. It's in Galatians chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. Galatians 4, verse 1 through 3. Let's look at that and we'll end it here tonight. Galatians 4. Verse 1 to 3. So when we, we now understand, we as kingdom citizens need to be training and thinking and living as children of God, creating that kingdom mindset. Most of what we've got is religious training. That's why it's not working. Because we have a religious mindset. And so we operate in fear and doubt and anxiety, all because we're trained wrong. Now listen to Galatians chapter 4, verse 1 to 3. Now I say that the heir, the heir is the one in line to inherit the throne. That's the word heir. Very interesting. All the word I've given to you talks about kingdom. An heir is not a president. Hmm. An heir is not a governor. An heir is one who's in line for procession to take their throne. Just as right now in the British kingdom, the queen's about to retire. So now his son is going to, as the heir in waiting, is going to step up to become the king. Oh, interesting. Now I say that the heir, as long as he's a child, does not differ at all from slaves. Why? Because a child don't know the difference. He doesn't understand his identity. He doesn't know who he is. But this is what happened. Though he is the master of all. Can I say something to you? We on the earth are in training. We are the master of all. But we don't know because we operate with a slave mindset. <laughs> we're poor. We're sick. We don't have enough to get by. That's why. Because you don't know. Because you're a child in the things of God. Thus you act like a slave. But you don't understand you're a master of all. Dominion power is given to you and me. Not to the devil. Not to the world. But to you. Let me give verse 2. But right now, because we don't understand, he's a master of all. But in verse 2, but his under guardian, Holy Spirit, tutor, another word is used, is steward or tutors until the time appointed by the Father. See it again? The Father set the appointed time when he'll step into his identity position. Verse 3, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. See, when we are immature in our mindset to understand identity, who we are, we are under the bondage of the elements of the world. What are the elements? We're in bondage to the laws that's built into the earth that we know nothing about. So now we're not free underneath those laws. We're under bondage to them because the laws is ruling over us. We have no identity, no purpose, and now life becomes hard when God created for life to be easy. Do you understand? Life only becomes easy when you start to obey the law of life. When you understand your identity. When you understand you're the master, not the slave. The mindset has got to switch over from a begging mindset to an authority mindset that commands and demands versus beg and plead. Hmm. Slave begs. Slave pleads. Sons takes right. Has the right to. Demands. To be exact. They don't request. Dad, can I... Sometimes just take it without asking. You see it in your own family. 
You see, you want that stranger coming and going to your purse, but you send your son to do it. Go get out of there what you need. That's the money to take this out of there. Or your refrigerator. Sons walking, don't ask. Mom, you don't need it, right? I'm going to eat that. Or just walking, in the house being out there, they eat your stuff. Because they're sons. They have rights, right? They don't beg. They don't plead. They, that's my mom. That's my dad. I have the right to his stuff. I'm going to eat it whether they want it or not. I know they want it, but I want it better more than they do. So I'm going to eat it anyway. Now, a slave has to knock. A slave has to beg. A slave has to ask. Do you understand? But sons has rights. That's the difference between religion and the kingdom. In the kingdom, as the kingdom says, when you walk in right, you have favor, you have success, you command, you demand, you take the authority, you walk in righteousness, you live above, you raise your head, you're bold, you're confident. In religion, you not don't have any of those. So you're down, you're depressed, you don't know what the Father wants, you're making requests that doesn't make no sense. Most of the time, you're waiting all the time. Your prayer takes long. You pray too long, you talk too much, you can't get no result. In the kingdom, you speak one word, it's manifest. In religion, you pray for hours, for days, for months, for years, no result! And we wonder why we're frustrated. We're frustrated. God, don't you hear me? And what we've learned to do now, when God will answer, we say, we use his word. God works in the process, you know. He has a timing. That's a bunch of hogwash. <laughs> Let me fix it for you. Let me fix it. God has a timing. You know, he's a, you know, he's never early, but he's always on time. Well, ain't that special. Take that to the bank and cash it. That's our excuse. That's a cop out. Let me ask you a simple question. When did you ever read in the four Gospels, when Jesus prayed, he had to wait? When did you ever read that? Everything he prayed, he got and immediately. And suddenly, in that very hour. He didn't wait for years. He didn't wait for months. He didn't wait for days. Hmm. The only place you saw him waiting one time was before his friend Lazarus was about to die. But he didn't move because the father was going to bring glory to himself. So he said, sit here for a while. Not because God had been delayed. God had to wait for Lazarus to come to the end of himself because he's about to resurrect him. So there's no delay in the Bible. This idea God worked this process is a cop-out. You see, when you come before God and you ask anything according to his will, you already know you got the petition. It's not a question of, well, will God answer? I just don't know. You know you got it. Every time I pray because I'm operating and asking according to the word and the will of God, I already know the results is going to be manifested. That's not even a question. The moment I say it one time, I ain't going to repeat it twice or three times. God's not deaf. He don't need me repeating stuff to him. I don't need to keep on giving him more words or babble. I'm vain babbling. I just make my request. I know my father heard it. I give him thanks for it. And I'm done. Nothing else to be said. God, his eyes not blind, he can't see. Or his deaf, he can't hear. He don't need me to be vain babbler, repeating over and over again. That's pagan. So we need to understand how to walk in righteousness. So when you make a petition and make a request before God, you know God hears you because your word lines up with his word and your mind and will lines up with his will. Once you learn how to do that, and there's also my teacher teach you how to do that, to make sure that what you're asking for is the will of the Father, just like Jesus did. And what happened? Every time he sought the will of God, God manifested immediately what Jesus needed. This is a place in the kingdom you and I should operate and live in because that's your kingdom authority. We've got to raise the standard to recognize we are kings by position. Do not mess up your role with your position. The role you take on as a slave and servant, but you're not your role by position, by authority. You are seated in heavenly places in Christ at the right hand of God the Father, a brother to Jesus, and you're going to be given a kingdom to rule over. So don't mess up your uh, role with your identity. Jesus, by position, is seated at the right hand of God the Father. But by role, 
he humbled himself to wash the disciples' feet. But don't get the feet messed up with the position. <laughs> it was a temporary position he took on to demonstrate what it means to be humble in the kingdom. The one who will be the greatest serves everybody else. That's the way up in the kingdom. You don't get to be served. You get to serve others. So you got to step down in order to step up with God. Do you understand? The principle told the opposite. Man's understanding, I step up and get served by people. God's kingdom, he steps down, humble himself to get the people up, and then he gets stepped up in the kingdom of God. Totally different principle, totally different mindset. My God, my time's come to end. Thank you again for this time tonight. We'll pick this up next week and continue on. We're going to talk about next week the difference between citizenship and membership. We're going to talk about the king. We're going to get to the place where the role of a king as we pick up the difference between the two. Um, I'm going to talk about what's a member versus a citizen and why citizenship carry more power and authority than a member. And you're going to understand that you're not a member in a country. You're going to understand that you're not a citizen of a church. I'm just saying. Oh, we'll talk about that next week. So please, one of you, thank you for joining me tonight. Hopefully you'll gain something. You'll learn something. There's some insight. Go back, please, and listen to the video again. Repetition leads to revelation. Repetition leads to success. Also, repetition done the wrong way leads to failure. So make sure you have the right repetition. Hearing these teachings over and over again is taught to reprogram your mind to have a kingdom mindset. I understand of your authority and your power. So the more you hear it, the more it becomes grounded in your mind and your heart. So God bless you all. Thank you for joining me tonight. Have a wonderful week this week. Look forward to seeing you next week. You all be blessed this week with overcoming power. Walk in your kingdom authority. Take and demand. Take by force. Rule and reign as you ought to rule. God bless you. I love you and see you next week. Thank you all. Bye-bye now.